your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills picked away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight rope to the sideline, steps out of bounds inside the 30-yard line. Dedrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Remember when it was all about spring football? You're going to have so much spring college football. It's going to be unbelievable. I mean, there's just going to be so many games, and where are they going to fit in the TV structure? I guess that's no more, right? I mean, every major conference has now flipped. It's remarkable, Ben McLaughlin, how quickly... Everything has flipped to now everybody, the MAC being the last one to jump on board, the Mountain West, the Pac-12, all the conferences are now going to play some football here in the fall. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, quite the, quite the turn of events that's happened here in the last few weeks. I think the thing that I keep going back to is, you know, there was such a long sit-and-wait period that it felt like months we were just sitting and waiting and weren't hearing anything. And you think about how fast a lot of these conferences, the Big Ten included, mobilized to get a season together. I mean, we were waiting for months and months and months. And in the span of, you know, one week to two weeks, uh, all of the leagues are back. So, yeah, it's – I don't know how much to read into that. I think, you know, the, the testing shirt sure, – sure has a lot to do with it but I also think a lot of these decisions and policies and protocols could have been in place two months ago and yet here we are but I'm glad here's the biggest thing I'm glad for It's something we've talked about a lot I'm glad that now every league hopefully is on track to start again in the 2021 season in the fall and we're back to normal it would have been weird even if it was a non-power five school a group of five um um, you know, a, a conference like the Mac, it just wouldn't have felt right if there was a conference or two or three that were still kind of lingering, lingering around doing their own thing in the spring and, and questioning what's going to happen to them in the fall. Yeah, that, that's kind of gotten lost, but I think that's exactly right. I mean, we didn't, we don't want this pandemic to mess up two falls of, of full-blown college football, and, and now everybody can get back on the same calendar. That's the best. I don't know if you caught it in the Mac's announcement. They're going to start – November 4th, so pull up your calendar. November 4th is a Wednesday. Ben, we're going to have Mech action. It's going to be back, right? All those midweek Mac games that everybody loves to have once the baseball playoffs get over. There you've got college football on like Wednesday and Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Well, the Mac's going to come through for us. They're going to put some games on those midweeks so we have some college football in the middle of the week. Are you, are you a fan of Mech action? Yeah, sign me up for all the action. You know, I, <laughs> I think I think we took for granted, you know, just watching football. Period, and uh, you know how many people watched that Central Arkansas versus Austin P game when when that was the first game back. Uh, I, I'm definitely not going to take it for. I mean, I haven't taken sports for granted at all. I mean, I've watched a ton of golf. We talk a lot about how much baseball is watched on this show. Watched obviously a fair amount of college football. Um, and even the NBA and obviously the NHL with the Lightning still going, I, 
I've been watching so much live sports on TV and just appreciating them for what they are, even though it's just it's not quite the same of, of what we're used to, but it's better than flipping on ESPN and having to, to watch another 30 for 30 or something like that. The other announcement as it relates to college football that came out today was they're going to waive the minimum wins ability for bowl games this year. And the way it's worded, you could not win anything, and a bowl can opt to invite you to come play. I don't think that's going to – that's not going to happen. There are going to be enough teams that are either going to be right at 500 or a game below 500. And, and like, in the Big Ten, you may have some four and five teams that get to go to a bowl game this year. But I I think that's probably the right way to go. I mean, a lot of teams, particularly in the Power Five conferences – bulk up their records by, without the lack of a better term, Cupcake City for the first couple of weeks. You get a couple wins there. Then you try to get three or four in your league, and boom, you're at six and six, and you're good to go. What would you make of that decision? Is that is that appropriate, do you think, here in 2020? Well, I think it – I think the first thing it made me think of, Greg, was it kind of fits the, the mold of what the Big Ten's doing with, with their ninth game. I mean, where, where it's not just the first-place teams or even the top three-place teams that are – um, playing each other it's it's everybody so you know you typically you see those end of seasons um, type scenarios for teams that have six wins or playing for a conference championship whatever the situation may be um, I think it just kind of par for the course and look again at the end of the season I'm all for watching more football around the holiday season so It'll be interesting to find out how this works with everybody being eligible, especially with the return of all of these conferences, because I think originally you were looking at a situation where there might have only been, I mean, what, what were there, 84 eligible teams for bowl games or something like that? I think it was close to 80. Uh, team. Maybe, about, maybe it was exactly 80. I don't remember. Um, teams that were eligible for bowl games, well – as of two weeks ago, we couldn't fill those 80 slots with all the teams playing. And and so I think they, they kind of had to. But now with everybody, um, you know, saying that they're going to, to play the games, now I wonder, you know, with the Mac starting so late and with the Pac-12 starting so late, even the Big Ten, I mean, they're starting a little bit later, earlier than those others. You know, you wonder, is the end of the season going to line up for when those bowl games want to happen? Right. How flexible are those bowl games going to be when it comes to comes to start dates and and that type of thing? I, I'm I'm still skeptical we're going to have those. To be honest with you, I, I think I think we have to have major improvements in how we're dealing with this virus by late December to have the bowl games. I, I just mean I, I don't know. And, and our are these bowl committees going to – I mean, obviously there's television dollars tied to them, and that's what funds a bunch of them. But then they also uh, get a lot of their funding through sponsorship deals, and do those happen if you can't put fans in the stands? I, I don't know. I'm not, that We can cross that bridge in a month or so. But for now, the NCAA came out today and said, we're waving it. We're, you don't have to be 500 or better to, to earn a, a bowl game bid. But, again, I, I'm skeptical whether it can happen um, – 
in January, late December anyway. Uh, Tim gave you some of the headlines of the day with uh, Major League Baseball hitting their final weekend of the regular season. Some interesting races, particularly in the National League. The American League is almost buttoned up at this point. Their seating is still a little bit – there's still some movement in the seating for the American League, but, but the eight teams are pretty well set in the AL. Not, it's not the case in the National League. You've got about five teams fighting for about two spots in the National League. So it'll be fun to watch some scoreboards here this weekend. And you also have tonight a game five in the NBA, Miami-Boston. Miami can close out the Celtics and get into the NBA Finals, which it may be the Lakers waiting for them after their win last night. College football, the SEC back at it tomorrow, first weekend for them. That really kicks it up a notch, I think, for a lot of us. I mean, it's been great to have some ACC contests the Big 12 stuck their toe in the water really two weeks ago, and then I think about everybody was off last week, minus Oklahoma State, who did play. Uh, but the Big 12 gets conference games going tomorrow. You look at the schedule of games for college football tomorrow, and it's, it's by far the best that we've seen to this point in time. How much more juice do you have now that the SEC is good to go for tomorrow? You know, as much flack as I give that conference for how arrogant they are, if we're, if we're being honest, they add a lot. They, they, they do add a lot of entertainment. They add a lot of good football. There's a lot of players on those teams that we're going to be seeing play on Sundays that I, that I would enjoy watching. And so, of course, I, it adds to the power of, of what Saturdays are going to be about. I mean, you're kidding yourself if you didn't like to watch the, those LSU teams from last year you know, put up 50 on people or watch those great Alabama defenses or, you know, watch Kellen Mond and Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, you know, it just, they add a lot. They just do. And so, you know, they get a lot of crap from people not in the SEC for how arrogant and, and just the way that they talk and it just means more and all that. Um, you know, we're fooling of ourselves if we think college football is the same without it. And so I am willing to, to bend the knee to the SEC uh, to have them back because it's going to make our Saturdays more interesting. And vice versa, I think even in the SEC, they would admit with the Big Ten going in a couple weeks, that will kick it up even another notch because you, you need those name brands of Nebraska and Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State playing. It just adds to the luster of all that. It's not a great weekend for matchups in the SEC. They really don't have any of the powers playing anybody else. Uh, I guess – I guess – the juiciest matchup tomorrow in that league is Mississippi State playing the defending national champions, LSU. But it is all conference games across the board in that conference tomorrow. Same thing in the Big 12 as they get things uh, unwrapped as well. All right, here's what we have on the program tonight. We did our interviews with the Husker assistant coaches back in July to do our position breakdowns. And we got to the point before the Big Ten pulled the plug where we had covered everything except tight ends. So we are going to, and this is, I'm, I'm throwing this out there because I, I don't want to try to fool anybody. We're going to run Sean Becton's interview that we did in July here in a couple of minutes so we can wrap up our uh, position breakdowns. And then we'll rank where we think the Husker tight ends fit among the hierarchy of the Big Ten West. This is the last one, Ben. We got everybody else done. We started them in, I think it was July 20th, or right around there is when we started these when we thought we were still going to, kicked the season off on September the 5th, and we got through it. We, co- we covered every position but the tight ends. And, and this was Josh's like, well, let's just do it. Let's just put it out there. So this is not a, a, an update interview. We haven't heard it. We haven't run it yet with Sean 
Becton, but we're going to play it tonight. I, I think it's fine. We can wrap up that little series, and then next week we'll check out where kind of a commu- computation of all of them, uh, where, where it fits one through seven, the league. But this will be – I don't want to try to fool anybody, Ben. I mean, this one, I did this one about 60 days ago, so it's, it's a little dated, but I don't think really much has happened to that room. It's changed what he's, what he's going to say about these tie, this tight end group. Yeah, you know, I've so I've got this um, this notebook that I've you know used. I've got one at work that that I've left there since the the quarantine, and I started this this one here, you know, on March thirteenth, just for you know just day to day stuff, topics and stuff, such things that we need to write down, top ten lists and all that. Um, it's it's kind of amusing how far I had to go back to find my position rankings <laughs> in this baby, and uh, I had just enough. Uh, I couldn't remember where I was on it, to be honest with you, and I had just enough room on my page here to uh, to put the tight ends on here. So, um, yeah, I had to go back. I couldn't remember if I had ranked them or not. Had to dig out the old Athlon magazine that I thought I wasted $10 on. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the pull, pulled her out and, and got it ranked. And, uh, yeah, I mean, let's do it. Might as well, right? Well, we did we did these. We we batched them all up, had them ready to roll, and then we didn't get to run it. So we're going to play that next. But again, I don't want anybody to have the illusion that I talked to Coach Beckton yesterday or today or earlier this week. This has been a couple weeks, a couple months ago. You haven't been in the office. Has it been six months since you set foot in your office? I think so. I've been down there. I've been to Lincoln twice since the third since we did that show in our conference room, and once was because we kind of knew early on that it was going to be a while before we were going to go back to normal. And so I went down there maybe two weeks, I think a week, maybe week or two weeks after, um, you know, we build our home studios, your, yours at your house, mine at mine. And just, I made sure to just grab everything that I could think that I needed in the foreseeable future in my office. And, uh, and so I grabbed all that stuff and then before, after that, the last time I went down there was for the baseball scrimmage. So, right. but, but I, you didn't go to the office. No, I've been to the office. Let's just call it March twentieth once since <laughs> March thirteenth. It's just crazy. And today's September twenty fifth. So yeah, you're past six months since you've set foot in our building. Now I've been down there a handful of times. I was down there earlier this week, but yeah, you may not. You may not. Your key may not work anymore. Maybe deactivated. Well, it was, it was funny because I was cleaning out my wallet not that long ago, and I had this little, you know, we've got, like, little key cards to get us in our doors. And I was like, what is this thing? Like, this isn't the parking pass, you know, little thing. <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was just like, it finally hit me, like, a few hours later. I was like, oh, my God, that was my key to, like, get into the building. <laughs> I, like, completely forgot what that thing was even was. All right, so Sean Beckton coming up here in a couple of minutes. We'll rank out the tight ends in hour number two. We'll go through our top 25 picks of the week and uh, then we'll get into ian rapaport will join us nfl network and get the latest from him about the upcoming week in the national football league coming off of a weekend of just a rash of injuries that have hit a lot of teams hard we'll get his take on that hour number three we'll have our weekend preview john cook had a press conference today we'll play some clips of that volleyball will officially start january 22nd with an NCAA tournament of only a 48-team field beginning in early April with a Final Four in late April. And John Cook is still petitioning for Omaha to host that Final Four. I think there's a good chance that that ends up happening, but, but we'll see. So we'll hear some, some from him. We'll have our weekend review and our winners and losers of the week. 
We're back. Sports Highly here on a Friday night. Greg Sharp with you. And as we mentioned in the opening segment, we started our position breakdowns back in July, and we got all the way up to the point where we were only one position away when the Big Ten called off their season. So we stopped. We didn't get the tight ends in. Well, we're going to pick that up tonight since the season's back on. This was an interview done with tight ends coach Sean Becton back in July. So I'm not trying to fool anybody that this was done in the last 24 hours or whatever. But here's Sean Becton talking to Huskers tight ends. Tonight on Sports Nightly, it's the Husker football position breakdowns. Snap back, Adrian looking right, stepping through the pressure, rolling right, now throws it downfield, and passes caught. Uh, was the inbounds? Austin Allen made the oh catch goodness. along the sidelines. They're going to say it's an inbounds catch at the 26-yard line. What a catch. Tonight. Huskers line up, two to the near side. Shotgun snap, zone read. Adrian pulls it back, flips it out to Flatjack, still wide open, walks in there, touchdown, Nebraska. Tight ends coach, Sean Becton. And let's talk tight ends with Husker tight end coach, Sean Becton. You've, you've, you've gotten to know these guys pretty well, right, coach? I mean, most of this room's been around you the whole three years you've been here. Yeah, I'm excited about those guys. Um, you know, very um, makes you really want to come to work every single day and, you know, with these guys and, and try to improve uh, their play and, and, you know, all aspects of uh, life with these guys. Uh, you know, very fun to be around. Uh, you know, Travis, you know, Vokalak has really come on and those guys are really taking, taking him in. And, and um, you know, you see one, you see the others, you know, now. So a uh, very close-knit group and, and that's something that I've always tried to build, you know, as a position coach. You want your guys to be close and, and be like brothers, you know. And, and, um, and I think we've built that over the last few years here. Let's start with the most experienced guy that you have, and that's Jack Stoll. What, what have you seen from Jack the last couple of years, and what's still ahead for him? How much growth does he still have in his game? Well, he's uh, we've tweaked a little bit as far as his, his uh, blocking. Um, but that's been his strong suit over the years. Um, the biggest growth for him has been in his uh, pass catching ability and route running and overall awareness of secondary play. He's improved immensely in those areas. Um was really excited to see where he was going to end up as far as taking that next step this spring. Obviously, we didn't get that opportunity to uh, see that, but – um, I heard he's been working extremely hard on, on some of the things as far as, um, you know, that we've talked about and addressed with him individually um, during the period of time where we can Zoom with guys. Uh, we spent some time with those guys as far as uh, uh, looking at uh, some some NFL tight ends and how they run routes, Kelsey, Ernst, uh, Rudolph. We spent some time on my former uh, player from UCF, Jordan Aikens. You know, so and those guys have all that stuff in their toolbox now on their iPad, so they can kind of go back and look at different things on techniques on you know how to improve in the in the uh, passing game. Uh, he's really stepped up his knowledge there, and we're looking forward to, to getting him out in, in uh, fall practice to see how much more you know he can develop. Let's go to Austin Allen next. His role seemed to grow as last season moved along. Talk about his progress, and, and what do you what do you expect and want out of Austin? Well, the biggest thing I wanted him to come away this spring, going into the spring, was him to uh, increase his, his body mass. Um, uh, what I'm hearing 
you know, from him is, you know, he's up close to 250 now, you know, which is, you know, the goal that we set. So now we just got to maintain it. Um, going back and looking at all his reps from the season, he's actually, you know, made tremendous gains uh, as far as that point of attack blocking, uh, you know, up front. Um, so, you know, obviously we, we, we're impressed with that. And, and um, he was one of the, one of the polished uh, route runners, you know, as far as um, tight ends that I had when I first got here. Um, Jack has picked it up, his pace there, um, and kind of caught up to Austin a little bit there. But Austin's naturally gifted, you know, in the passing game. And I think with Coach Lubick in here now, he's going to try to utilize, you know, Austin Stoll and then Austin Allen with his range and, and his pass catching ability uh, a little bit more, you know, incorporate those guys a little bit more in our in our offensive scheme of things. And being able to, with Austin's development now, you know, being able to play with two more two tight ends you know, formations uh, going forward. Again, visiting with Husker tight ends coach Sean Becton here on Sports On as our position breakdowns continue. Kurt Raftall is another guy that you've had for a couple of years. Where's Where's Kurt at in his progression? Uh, he's he, he's really really improving. Uh, his overall knowledge of the game has really really improved. Uh, one of the aspects that we met on with him, you know, after the season, his his reps were reduced a little bit. Uh, last season, and it was more or less uh, confidence in him, in himself. And uh, weekly and daily um, assignments that I give him, you know, trying to improve in his basically, you know, self-awareness and being more confident in his abilities. Don't let a negative, you know, thing, you know, deter his development and what he's trying to get done, you know. Uh, so I think he's really grown from there. Um, uh, talking to Jack Stoll and Austin, uh, they've kind of taken him on his wings to try to improve in that area. Um, you know, as a position coach, you always want to look for things and try to better your players. And that was one thing that we we've improved on. He's got a ton of talent uh, as far as you know, being a pass catcher and you know, being a guy tight end with some good length to him. And, you know, we caught a lot of balls at Carmel High School over in Illinois, you know, Indiana. Um, so I'm just trying to get him to be more confident in himself. And when he gets the opportunity, if he makes a mistake, don't let it carry on to two and three mistakes in a in a row. And that's something that you know, obviously, growth and and something that he's aware of. You know, as a player, and you know, I think he's really making a conscious effort to, to improve there. And you know, for me, his communication—he was, you know, one of the ones, or the few at, at a tight end group that, you know, when, you know, I needed something from him, it took him a while to get back. And you know, now I think he's grown to understand. Hey, it's important, you know, for the for coach to try to get a hold of you. It's just a simple thing, you know, to get respond back to him to me but uh he's really improved and and uh hearing a lot of good things with him in the weight room also coach when we did this segment a year ago you had just kind of gotten travis vocalak the transfer from rutgers on the roster so you didn't know a whole lot about him what have you learned about travis in the last 12 months and what are your expectations for him to help this football team well travis is that I think he's up to 265 
Uh, last I checked, I've been on vacation couple <laughs> last couple of weeks, but uh, I know he's 265 when I left. Um, so he gives that big, strong, you know, uh, tight end at the point of attack. He really enhances our room because he's a physical, uh, you know, tight end, and also he's six eight, you know, so he has a length there and he can run. So he gives us, you know, really in our room four legitimate tight ends that anybody in the Big Ten would love to have, and um, we're excited to, you know, as a coaching staff to to uh, actually have him as a weapon also, you know, in our arsenal with the tight end group. Um, I know I've heard Coach Lubick mention that the tight ends are the strength, one of the strengths of the offense, and, you know, it makes me, you know, proud of, of uh, those guys as, as they develop. But uh, Travis, you know, really wish I had an opportunity to spend a little bit more time with him this spring, but, you know, saw him a lot in the fall, um, and I know – you know, what he's going to bring to the table in the Husker fans. Um, I think he's going to be a dominant at point of attack. He's going to be a really, really good, good, productive uh, receiving tight end for us. And he's going to give us the flexibility to, you know, play two tight ends, possibly three tight ends, you know, in a rotation there, you know, in a season that, you know, where we're going to need some depth across the board, you know, at all positions. You have recently added a, a graduate transfer in Jared Bubach, who's from Lincoln, went out to Arizona State, was a part of that program for a while. Have you had a chance to even meet the young man, talk to him very much? Yeah, I've talked to him. I've actually, you know, we have iPads here, and you know, I've given him an iPad with, with a lot of the plays on it and, and kind of Zoom meeting with him, trying to get him up to speed. Uh, great, tremendous kid. Um, I understand his father. Uh, used to be an employee in, in the program or uh, some that sort. But great kid, and, you know, like all the kids that we bring in, you know, the other guys have really, really taken taken to him, kind of helped him um, also, um, you know, trying to get him up to speed. Um, initially, with the depth that we have there, obviously we're just trying to get him up to speed as far as understanding, you know, simple plays and understanding, you know, run game and then, Maybe see if we can we can find a spot for him on, on some special teams to help us, you know, build some depth there, you know. But I'm excited about what the other four are, and you know, with his experience, you know, you know, coming from Arizona State, you know, who knows he might be able to give us a little bit of, you know, more more power in the tight end tight end room once he gets up to speed. Uh, obviously, I hadn't been around him to see him much physically, but uh, he's a a little bit of I've been around him. He's a great kid, very knowledgeable of the game, you know, understands the, the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, he just needs to get caught up with our terminology. Well, Coach, as always, we appreciate the rundown and your guys. Let's, let's, uh, let's keep them healthy here in the next month or so, and let's hope we get some football in here this fall. Yeah, I'm excited. Ready to go. I'm, I know everybody across the country is ready for, for uh, college football and high school football across the country and the NFL. So we're ready to go. I'm ready to go. Obviously being re- rejuvenated, just hopefully uh, everything, you know, everybody's safe out there, you know, as they're reporting back in. And uh, we, you know, powers that be allows us to go play this year. All right, we've wrapped up our position breakdowns. Ben, give me your thoughts about 
the Husker tight ends. It's a group that's been around a while. I mean, you got Jack Stoll's been a, on the field for a ton. Austin Allen, Kurt Raftall. I mean, it, that's a veteran group that are going to run out there this fall. Yeah, and they got some good ones coming in, too. I, I think Coach Becton has, you know, put himself in a great position for his position group to not have, you know, the gaps that we've seen at other positions. And not all of it is the current staff's fault. Um, but it's nice to have the the amount of ammo that that the Huskers do have and the choices that they have at – at tight end and I'm excited about I'm excited about Travis Vokalek the transfer Mm -hmm. from Rutgers I think the coaches are really excited about him and obviously tremendous size but they're just so versatile they can do so much I think you know Chris Hickman's probably not included in this group but you know let's just throw him in there for a second you think about all the different body types and and styles and um you know, things that each of those guys bring to the table. I mean, you can rattle off five names of players that you feel conf- confident and comfortable with. It's a pretty good place to start. I, I can't wait for a slip screen to Wandale or somebody and Vokalek just blowing somebody up, you know, trying to cut that thing off and him just creating a path for Alante Brown or Wandale to just shoot right through. I think that's going to be fun to watch. Okay, where, where, give me your top three at this position in the Big Ten West. Okay, um, my number one, the, first of all, I should preface this by saying there's not a lot returning around the league at this, at this position. There's a lot of talented players that are no longer um, in the Big Ten West at tight end. That being said, my number one is a guy that most people in the Big Ten West are familiar with in, uh, in Ferguson from Wisconsin. So I've got the Badgers at number one. I've got the Huskers here at number two, and not so much just a stats, stats-driven ranking, but just a depth-driven ranking. Yes, Jack Stoll is back, and you know he didn't have the, the production that any of us really expected him to a year ago, but you know I think the Huskers have plenty of options there, probably the deepest team at tight end in the Big Ten West. So I've got the Big Red at two, and I've got Illinois up at number three. I think tight end will be a strength of their offense. Uh, you get Daniel Barker back, and they bring in a transfer in, uh, in Luke Ford. That's really going to help them out too. So Illinois has been known to throw to their tight ends here and there, and they've got a couple decent ones. So I go Wisconsin one, Nebraska two, and Illinois up at number three. Okay. Tim, how about your top three? Yeah, my top three I think is uh, almost identical to Ben's, but with one point of difference at uh, my two spot. I've got Iowa uh, with Sam Laporta. He's going to do some serious damage this year. As a true freshman, 15 catches for 188 yards. Uh, that ain't bad. Only would expect his production to increase. Yeah, Wisconsin, though, they're my number one. Jake Ferguson, clearly a stud. And Illinois, yeah, again, sneaky good this year probably. Uh, Daniel Barker's a, a fantastic player. Also, you get that Georgia transfer and Luke Ford in. So uh, that my top three looking pretty similar. But Wisconsin one, Iowa two, and the Illini three. Okay. Austin have his list back there? Oh, he does indeed. I do. I I have Nebraska at number one. I love the depth. I think Jack Stoll, Austin Allen, Travis Vokalek will flash. And Kurt Raftoff, he's your fourth tight end. You're feeling pretty good. Wisconsin doesn't have much in terms of depth. Jake Ferguson obviously is dead. Cam Large turned down Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State offers to come up to Madison. So he might be a good depth piece for them. And then Minnesota's my number three. I'm not too inspired by anything much in the rest of the conference. But they have guys that have been around. So this is more a they're there we kind of know what they are steady kind of ranking 
Okay. I, I line up with Ben, except I flip two and three. I've got Wisconsin with Ferguson one. I think he's the cream of the crop of tight ends in the West. I really like Barker, and you add Ford into the mix. I think Illinois with that combination. Barker's, I think, just a little bit a little bit of cut ahead of the Husker guys. So I've got them two. And i got Nebraska at three. I love the depth. I, I just I kind of want more out of that position than maybe we've had. Uh, so I go Wisconsin one, Illinois two, Nebraska three. How about Josh? Do we have Josh's ballot? We do have Josh's ballot. He had Wisconsin numero uno, Iowa second, and Nebraska in the third spot. Okay. Ben, how about your four through seven? Yeah, and then four through seven. Here I've got Iowa at four, Minnesota at five, Purdue at six, and Northwestern at seven. Purdue um, was probably leading this category last year with Bryson Hopkins. He is no longer um, a Boilermaker, so that's a huge loss for them. I haven't really seen, um, you know, Northwestern have that H-back this year. You know, Cam Green was a guy that they were excited about at the next level, and we've seen some decent ones come through, but not a lot of faith in what the Cats have, and I think, you know, Iowa with Laporta, Minnesota, you know, falls in line at four and then, or excuse me, at five, and then Purdue Northwestern. So that, that's, my, that's my next grouping. Okay. Tim? Yeah, my number four, I've got Nebraska. I struggle with, with their placement just because I love the depth. As you said, Greg, you got Jack Stoll, Austin Allen, Kurt Raftel, Travis Vokalek, even the new Arizona State grad transfer. But the X factor, though, is going to be the new offensive coordinator. We don't really know exactly how the tight end is going to be utilized. And also last year, yeah, you wanted to see excuse me, a little bit more production out of that group. So uh, they're a, a, a solid four, um, but but definitely has potential to be great this year. Uh, then at five, got Minnesota. Like Nebraska, they've got a lot of uh, talent there. Uh, Jake Paulson and Brevin Span Ford. Um, only challenge is going to be to get them the ball more. They only had, I think, four catches apiece last year, uh, four catches each. So if they get the ball more, they'll be a good group. Then Purdue uh, at six. Lots of Bryson Hopkins is really going to hurt, but they do actually have a solid option in Payne Durham. Is going to be a sophomore this year, caught nine balls for 82 yards and four touchdowns. Um, and also, if, if Jack Plummer's any good, then uh, then Payne Durham will have some success. And then seventh, Northwestern. Uh, yeah, poor QB play pretty much hurt that group last year. So maybe they'll have the fortunes turn around. But, uh, yeah, last year, the Wildcat tight ends only had seven catches for 30 yards. That ain't much. It ain't great. And they're why they're my number seven. So to recap, I got Nebraska four, Minnesota five, Purdue six, and Northwestern seven. Okay, Austin? I'm a little lower than you guys on Illinois and Iowa. They're my four and five in that order. I've got Northwestern at six. They welcome in John Rain from Florida Atlantic. Uh, He was an honorable mention all-conference guy that might be a piece. And the nicest thing about Purdue, I can say, is that they have one guy back. He's known as a blocking tight end. That doesn't inspire much confidence. So Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern, Purdue, four through seven for me. Okay. I line up exactly like Ben. I've got Iowa at four. I think Laporta could end up being really, really good at Iowa. I think he may be the next in that great line of tight ends. Uh, But I've got Iowa four, Minnesota five, Purdue six, and Northwestern seven. And again, Northwestern's a bit of a mystery with a new OC. What what exactly are they going to do? And Peyton Ramsey's going to help that quarterback spot out for the Cats. How about Josh's four through seven? Yeah, Josh had the Iowa Hawk, or rather the Illinois fighting Illini, fighting Lovey Smith at four. Minnesota, row the boat, they're at five. Northwestern at six. Then he has the Boilermakers last. So there you go. Okay. 
Very good. Well, next week at some point in time, we'll, we'll let Josh put it into the Sports Nightly computer and add up everybody's picks through all the positions, and we'll see how it averages out, and we'll see how close that comes to being the way the final standings look as well. 531-500-4686, the number if you want to jump on board with a comment, question, or fire off a text. We're back to wrap up Hour 1 next. Yep, here we are, hour number two, Sports Nightly on a Friday night. Hope you're ready for a big weekend, the final weekend of the month of September. And if we would have played the original Husker football schedule, it would have been the fourth consecutive home game. It would have been the conference opener, I believe, tomorrow. No, 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 we played Purdue. It would have been the Cincinnati game is what would have been uh, played tomorrow. The Bearcats would have been here for a game, and then the Huskers would have traveled for the first time next week going to Northwestern. But that's out the window. That's all gone. That is done. All right, here's what we have coming up this hour. We'll have our top 25 picks for the week. We'll get a feel for how we have been doing the last two weekends. And then we'll hear from Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, get his take on the National Football League for week number three. All right, Tim, let's uh, let's review the scoreboard. How, how are, how's everybody faring through two weeks of these picks? Uh, some are faring better than others. Uh, who's not faring well? I, I shall leave nameless uh, to save uh, their feelings. Well, no, you can't, you can't leave them. <laughs> this is, you, our picks are our picks. Our reputations are our reputations. Well, leading the pack is uh, Mr. Josh Hilgeman at 14 of 15. Wow. Um, what was it like game he got? tripped on let me check i think it was back it was in week iowa one. state it was the iowa, state. iowa state we Love all it. yeah we all tripped up on the cyclones yeah uh ben and gray you guys are both tied at 13 to 15 so let's see if you guys uh can separate from one another here this week but uh leading the rear austin and i <laughs> at 12 of 15 well you're what two out of first i'm a i'm a gambler so i i picked wrong on uh notre dame they they, they fell to duke or rather i picked wrong on duke um, and then I think last week I got tripped up on Louisville, but that's about it. So I'm I'm feeling pretty confident that I can make up that ground. All right, we got a lot more to pick from this week. A lot of games in the top 25 with the Big 12 really back full force in the SEC first full weekend for them. So let's jump into it. 11 o'clock games. Number three, Oklahoma will entertain Kansas State. Last year, the Wildcats hosted Oklahoma and pulled off a major upset. Tim, do you see that happening again this week? I do not. Uh, sorry to uh, all the crazy Manhattan Kansas State fans out there. Uh, I think it's going to be Boomer sooner this week. Spencer Rattler is just too good. All right. Is Austin playing? I'm, you know, is Austin playing with always, us? Always dialed yeah. in. Okay, Austin, how about the K-State-Oklahoma game? You know, I, I think K-State will keep it close. I know it's a dispiriting first-week performance for the Cats. I, I, I do enjoy what Chris Kleiman is building down there. I think he's going to do a good job. I don't think they have enough to take down Oklahoma this week, though. I don't know that it's very close. I think the Sooners are still stuck with remember. They, they, don't, they remember a year ago and the Cats upending them in Manhattan. I think Oklahoma rolls this game. Ben? Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Spencer Rattler play a little bit more. Um, you know, we only get to see him throw, what, 13, 14 passes in his first game. And I'm with you. I think, I think OU's been thinking about that game a lot in Manhattan. Man, what a game that was. That was one of the shockers of the year last year. And I don't think OU's going to let that happen again. You know, under Coach Riley, Oklahoma's had one of those a year. Iowa State's got them one time. K-State got them last year. But they, it seems like it happens early in the year for them, and they're able to dig their way out of it and still get into the playoff. But I don't think it happens tomorrow. All right, Austin, I'm coming to you for the next one. Also at 11 on ESPN at a game day. Florida is at Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin's debut. How about this one? Incredibly intriguing. I, I will have eyes on this one. 
unlike Ben, I'm not on the lane train. I think Florida's too much in week one. I, I like the Gators, too. It's a two-touchdown spread, though. I, I, if I were betting this, I think I would take Ole Miss in the points, but I think the Gators get it done. Ben? Yeah, I think so. I think Florida's defense is getting much better, and you know we, we can always expect them to have great defenses, but the, the big thing with them is can their offense turn the corner? I think Kyle Trask is, is more than serviceable as one of the better quarterbacks in the conference, so give me the Gators. I think the points are about right. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with the uh, the Gators here as well in a battle of personalities. I'll take Lane Kiffin any day, but I think Dan Mullen's the better coach, and I think the Gators are the better team. Florida all day. Okay, maybe the best game of the day, also at 11, is number 23, Kentucky at number 8, Auburn. I, I like the the Tigers, but Kentucky's got some personnel issues that they're dealing with, but I think this is a really good game. The spread's only a touchdown, but give me Auburn in a fun one to watch. Yeah, I'm kind of out on Kentucky. I Just something about, something about them, I just not a fan um, of the Wildcats. Auburn, I think, is interesting because, again, you've got, much like Kyle Trask, you've got a quarterback coming back for, you know, his his second season in Bo Nix. Um, not sure quite what to think of Auburn's defense. You know, they lose a lot in the front seven, a very talented front seven uh, from a year ago, one of the best defensive lines in the country. You know they're loaded with talent, but, you know, how do they come back and look you know, at the, at the start of the year. Give me Auburn. Um, I'm probably taking the Tigers to cover. Okay. It's a nuanced take there, Ben, uh, but I'm going to take Auburn in this one. But I, like Mr. McLaughlin, I don't think I'm totally sold on the Tigers. I know they're good. Are they top 10 good? I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Bo Nix. I'm a fan of Gus Malzahn and the, and the sweater vest, but I'm not so sure uh, they're eighth ranked in the nation good. But they're good enough to beat Kentucky, uh, so I'll take them this week. One of my buddies is a Kentucky fan, born and raised. He's curious to see how Kentucky fares with a real quarterback this year with Lynn Bowden gone. He thinks there will yeah. be some growing pains. I think, I think Kentucky covers, but I think Auburn wins. Good call. Did Bowden get cut by the Raiders? He was traded. Traded, him. traded. Traded to the Dolphins. Okay. All right. Okay, uh, 11 o'clock, ABC. This was supposed to be an ABC game featuring Notre Dame and Wake Forest, but that game got postponed, so they've picked up UCF, 13th-ranked Knights at East Carolina, Ben. Yeah, I don't really know a lot about ECU, if I'm being honest with you. That's just not a team that I am overly familiar with. Um, 27-point spread, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, not liking the Pirates' chances in this one. I, ECU's last good team was when what? Who who was that great running back that they had? I don't know. They had a good running back not that long ago, and that was the last good team that they had. So I'm out on the Pirates, and I think I think the cover. I think they cover the 27 too. Yeah, I uh, I'm not boarding the Pirates ship either. I'm going to take UCF in this one. They're probably going to win pretty comfortably. Uh, Georgia Tech was able to hang around with UCF a little bit last week, but they pulled away in the end, and that's likely what well. I don't think Eastern Carolina is going to hang around in this at all. East Carolina is probably going to lose this one by a few touchdowns. I'm taking UCF all the way. Ben, were you thinking about CJ2K? Yes, that's who it was, Chris Johnson. Yep. That was, that was a while ago. He is uh, not coming back to save the day for the Pirates. <laughs> Give me the Golden Knights. Yeah, pick your score here for UCF. They roll in this one. All right, also at 11, Tim, the Ragin' Cajuns finally get a home game. They're 2-0, ranked 19th. Georgia Southern 1-0 comes in. It's an 11-point favorite for the Cajuns. How about this one? 
Yeah, what are they doing? Like their state of Georgia tour? They played uh, <laughs> Georgia State. Yeah, so they, they're going to take out all the Georgia teams. Bulldogs next. I, I'm, I'm taking Louisiana with in any game. I, I'm all about the rage and the and the cage. Um, uh, yeah, they're going to win this one. They're not Louisiana. They're Winsiana. I'll take the Cajuns. Yeah, they win their home opener. I got we, we all have a good friend that works at Georgia Southern, but he's going to go home sad from this one. The Cajuns win. I am. I am. I could hammer some some food from the Bayou right now. That doesn't have some red beans and rice and some crawfish. Oh, yeah. Just sounds oh, so yeah. good right now. Yeah. Got out. Hammer that. I'm a little more apprehensive on Louisiana after what happened last week. Um, you know, with their scare with uh, with Georgia State. I, I like Elijah Mitchell a lot. I like Regas too. Their 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 two running backs I think are solid. Uh, Levi Lewis has has proven that he can get it done at a quarterback. So I think Louisiana wins, but I'm a little more apprehensive of what I saw last week. And it's and it's impossible to not have a little bit of a letdown after going on the road and being Iowa State. I think I think we probably see a little better effort out of the Cajuns this week. All right. Austin, to you next. The last one, a ranked game at 11, Louisville, number 24 at number 21, Pitt. Louisville coming off that loss to Miami last Saturday night at home. Pitt, just a field goal favorite in this game. I bought the cards last week. I'm not scared to do it again this week. I I like Louisville. I like what they're building. I don't trust Pitt. They're an ultimate chaos agent. They're finally ranked again for the first time in a while. I'll take Louisville. I'll take Louisville on the road. I'm with you. I, I'm not sold on Pitt. I know that they'll play hard. Uh, they struggled for a good chunk of the game against Syracuse last week. Louisville, I think, will loosen up after the, having all game day and that whole hoopla last week. I, I think Louisville bounces back and pulls off an upset over Pitt. Give me the Cardinals. Yeah, make it three for three for me. Woo. This is a uh, this is conflicting styles at its best, right? Malik Cunningham spread it around. JV on Hawkins, Tutu Atwell, Des Fitzpatrick, flashy offensive. Louisville, and then you've got Pat Narduzzi, who <clears throat> who is definitely not that style, right? Kenny Pickett's a good quarterback. I, yeah, I think he counted for three touchdowns last week for Pitt. Um, but give me the flash. I'm all about it. I'm about the up-tempo offense. I think Cunningham's going to bounce back and have a better day. So give me, uh, give me the cards. Well, uh, Austin referred to a Pitt being a chaos agent earlier. I guess I'll be the chaos agent of this pick'em. And I'm going to pick Pitt. That's right. They uh, didn't do so hot against Syracuse, but they got the dub. I think it'll probably look similar to that week as they might have to grind this one out, uh, scrap it out. But Pitt, in the end, will prevail. It's probably a smart move when everybody's picking an upset, go with the favorite. That's probably not a bad play. Got to claw my way back somehow. Yeah, on your part. All right, let's get to the 2.30 game. CBS has this one. This is Mississippi State. Kevin Warren's son playing for them. I shouldn't do that. That's that's a cheap (laughs) shot. Uh, This is the Pirates' debut. Mike Leach, the new head coach of Mississippi State, going into Baton Rouge to take on the sixth-ranked defending national champion, LSU. I think this game's going to be pretty interesting, but I think the Tigers win it at home. They are favored by 16. I I don't think LSU covers, but I think they win the game. So go Tigers. (laughs) You know, Ed Orgeron might not know where the state of Mississippi is. However, uh, I think that doesn't matter because the the Tigers – are going to roll go Tigers, as uh, Mr. Orgeron would say. He, he was the head coach at Ole Miss, I though. I was just going to yeah. bring that up. Yeah. Give me Coach O over the Pirate. 
All right, Ben, 2.30 on Fox. To the Big 12 we go. Out to Lubbock, Texas. The Longhorns ranked eighth in the country. 17-point favorite over Texas Tech, who's 1-0 after squeaking out a win over Houston Baptist. Um, yeah, not going to be able to get that game out of my head, so hook them. Texas is back, Joe Tessitore. <laughs> yeah, t- uh, I don't know if, if Tess is around to proclaim the Longhorns being back, but uh, they don't really need to be back to beat a beleaguered Texas Tech. Uh, hook them, as they say. Texas is going to roll. Pat Mahomes ain't walking through that door, Horns. Yeah, this is a road cover. 17 is not enough. Texas is going to win this one going away tomorrow. Also, 230. Ooh, sneaky good game here, Tim. America's team, the Army Knights. Yes. Number 22 in the country at 14th-ranked Cincinnati on ESPN. Bearcats a 13-point favorite. What do you think? Our nation's Army will destroy the Cincinnati Bearcats. Oh! Uh, the triple option will run amok. It'll be revolutionized the way college football is played in this country. For all time, Army uh, wins. Maybe not covers, but wins. The reason you have Tim and I on this segment is that Tim gives you an answer, and I give you the right one, Cincinnati. <laughs> I, I like the Cats. I like what they have. Give me Cincy. Yeah, this is going to be an intriguing game. I think Army covers the 13, but Cincinnati wins it by four. Ooh. Army hmm. always finds a way to have games with Power 5 teams in the fourth quarter late. Uh, you think back to two years ago, it was Oklahoma just squeaking by Army. Last year, it was Michigan just squeaking by Army. And this year, it's going to be Cincinnati just squeaking by Army. Three or four-point game, I'm with you, Greg. I, I think it's really close. Desmond Ritter, I think, is a solid quarterback for the Bearcats, and they're at home at Nippert Stadium. Um, Cincinnati, but close. I don't think, I don't think they cover. Might even go overtime. Woo-hoo-hoo. All right, also 2.30 ABC, Austin, West Virginia travels to Stillwater. The Pokes were sluggish last week. They're ranked 15th and only a six-point favorite over the Mountaineers. Sluggish and with, likely without quarterback Spencer Sanders. That's a big deal. I think this is a game Oklahoma State probably goes away from their, run, their you know, sling it around type of roots. I think Chuba Hubbard gets absolutely fed the ball 20, 25 times this game. It's close. It's a slugfest. West Virginia covers. Oklahoma State pulls it out. Great, great breakdown. I'm right there with you. I think it's within a touchdown, but the Cowboys at home prevail. Yep. Pokes, close. Um, like Tylen Wallace, like Chuba Hubbard. The true freshman that, that came in last week against Tulsa looked serviceable, came down and engineered a, a, a drive, you know, right there at uh, on his first possession. Offense didn't look great, but, again, at T. Boone Pickens at home, I'll take Oklahoma State. Uh, the, the pistols will not be firing tomorrow. Ooh. It's West Virginia. Or they'll be coming from a musket. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's right, from a guy wearing a bearskin hat or something. Uh, it will be West Virginia, the Mountaineers, against my better judgment. I am rolling with WVU. Okay. 3 o'clock, back to the SEC. We go fourth-ranked Georgia at Arkansas. Uh, I, I've got Georgia winning this one. Arkansas just is sputting around. Georgia favored by 28. It's about that. I think Georgia wins fairly comfortably. Dogs, have you seen Arkansas' schedule? Yeah, I mean, brutal. Brutal. it is a really – Really tough schedule, and they're not going to get off to a very good start. Dogs over the Hogs. Yeah, uh, you don't need access to a crystal ball to imagine Arkansas is going to have a rough go of things. I too am picking Uga 
Georgia. Um, I did not know Arkansas still had a football program as abysmal as they have been in recent years. So, man, going the dogs. vicious shot at Arkansas. <laughs> I have an uncle that actually teaches at Arkansas, so I have to really double down on my, my Fayetteville hatred. Georgia. All right, unanimous. Okay, let's go to the night games. ESPN number two, Alabama in Columbia, Missouri. Ben to take on the Tigers. Bama, a four-touchdown favorite. Yeah, I'm a roll tide here. I'm not a Missouri fan um, at all. And with recent um, graduates of said university speaking their mind on programs that he probably shouldn't, I'm hoping Bama wins by 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the fighting Pat 40s might be going down hard this week. Um, yeah, I, I don't give him much of a chance against the Crimson Tide. It'll be a tidal wave. Bama wins big. They do, indeed. Tides are going to roll. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure they roll, roll, but that, that's comfortable for them throughout the night. Okay, Tim, also a night game under the lights. A&M, a lot expected of the Aggies. They're ranked 10th, hosting the Vanderbilt Commodores. A&M favored by 30 in this game. Whew, that's a big margin. I, I'm, I don't know if they'll necessarily cover that, but no, I, I think Jimbo Fisher is it's probably due for a, a, a decent season. It'll be obviously weird with the conference-only schedule, but A&M will beat Vanderbilt. It'll be close, but I, I'm picking the Aggies. Giggum. I don't think it's going to be close. I think Vanderbilt has lost a ton. I don't think this is the year A&M puts it all together, but they're just so much better than Vanderbilt right now. Derek Mason is not in a good spot. Don't even need a 12th man. A&M wins it. I, opening weeks, though, I, I think that if I'm co- if I'm betting, I cover. I think Vandy covers, but I think AM will look good in this one. No Kalijah Lipscomb, no Keyshawn Vaughn, no chance. AM just run, runs them out of the place. I'm with you, Austin. All right. Uh, ABC's primetime game, Florida State 0-1, coming off a loss to Georgia Tech, takes on Miami, who was really impressive last week. Is this Austin? Is this you? No, is this – is I this, think it is. Is it Austin? I'll take is, it. Is it you, Ben? Oh, no, it's it's Austin. Give it Austin. Austin. It's Austin. Miami, Toss Florida the rock State. To Austin. Canes by eleven. Austin. Eleven feels about right. Florida State's offensive line is a mess. I think is the the kindest way to say it. I, I don't like either of these teams personally. I want them both to lose every game they play for the <laughs> remainder of time. Miami proved me wrong. They beat Louisville last week on the road. For that reason, I think I got to take Miami at home in this one. I'm with you. The, the, the Seminoles look disje- disheveled in their opening game, and I know there was weather delays and all that threw them off. Miami was sharp, crisp. I think they've got a little bit of the eye of the Tiger. I think Miami wins by double digits. Yeah, <laughs> typically you expect some kind of letdown after a, a primetime game um, on the road uh, for a team like Miami, but this is a rivalry game. I mean, you can throw that out the window. I I uh, I. Uh, too was not impressed at all with what I saw from the Knolls. So give me Derek King and the, and the Canes. Fairly big. Yeah, Florida State are, are pretty shockingly terrible. Um, as begrudgingly as they like to admit, Miami did look pretty good against Louisville, as they say. Uh, yeah, give me the Hurricanes. I don't even know if this is going to be particularly close. I, I think Florida State's in a bad, bad way. All right. Back to the SEC, we go under the lights. South Carolina hosting 16th-ranked Tennessee. The Volunteers, a road favorite, three and a half points. It isn't going to matter. Gamecocks win this one outright, Ben McLaughlin. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, you called this, uh, I think, on buy-sell. I think this is – this is other than, obviously, the line would indicate this is the most likely upset that we have 
in the Southeastern Conference um, this week, but I got to stick with my buy-sell pick. I'm, I'm taking old Rocky Top, but my confidence is about the line, three and a half out of ten. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the uh, with, with Tennessee, Smokey, and all that. Uh, Peyton Manning's uh, homeland. Um, yeah, the Volunteers are gonna win this one. I, I don't know how confident I am. Are they 16th ranked in the nation? Good. I don't know, but I, I believe in Jeremy Pruitt. I think he can get that ship turned around. But uh, it'll be close. But Tennessee wins this one. I don't believe in Jeremy Pruitt, but I do think Tennessee pulls it out in this one. They played so much better towards the end of last season. They're building some positive momentum. That South Carolina defense has been really good the last few years. Will Muschamp has had it in a pretty good spot, so I think it's going to be a slower game. Tennessee just ekes it out. All right, Ben, back to the ACC. Virginia Tech, ranked 20th, finally gets to play a football game after some cancellations. They host the Wolfpack of NC State, who also have had some ups and downs. NC State won a wild game last Saturday night from Wake. Virginia Tech, a seven-point favorite. Yeah, I. Uh, this is one I think, you know, the team that, that gets a game under their belt kind of kind of gets the advantage. I know they're they're going on the road to Lane Stadium, but I'll take an upset here. Give me NC State and the Wolfpack over Virginia Tech just because NC State uh, had some time to work that offense out. They scored a bunch of points last week against Wake Forest. Um, Virginia Tech, I think, is solid, but I'm going to choose the upset here. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm going to stick with, with Vatek in this one. I don't like it. I don't love it, but that's what I got. I can't even really justify it, but I just have something in my gut that says they're going to sneak this one out. We'll see. I think North Carolina State leads at the half. I think the Pack lead after three quarters. I think Virginia Tech pulls something hokey out of the air in Blacksburg and wins it late. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I really wanted to do this, Ben, like you with going with NC State. I think this will be an intriguing game, but I think the Hokies at home find a way, make a play late and win the game. All right, Tim, let's wrap it up. Late game, 9-15. We'll have some night football on ESPN. Troy, 1-0, rolled their first opponent. They travel out to take on BYU, who looked great almost a month ago against the Navy. <laughs> BYU favored by 16. I was going to say, it was felt like years ago we watched them uh, blast past the midshipmen. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that they'll beat Troy. But interesting, we've seen Troy uh, – play some teams tough i know it was only a few years ago they actually went into death valley and, and beat lsu i think unless my memory is totally shot but beat the huskers that's right yeah of course we, we noticed that i didn't want to bring that up great but you did it for me but <laughs> but byu yes they will win this one but it could be close huskers fans rooting interest in this one is attrition i think yeah. byu pulls it out though yeah, Oscars have played both these teams in the last five years. BYU at home, that that um, that high altitude will, will wear down Troy in the second half. BYU gets it done. Cougs, big, big. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it's big. All right, those are the picks. We'll see. That, that could really change the scoreboard. There's a lot of games in there this week that could really change up our standings. See how we fare in this one. We're back, Sports Highly Friday night. On Fridays, we like to catch up with the guy who's on the inside of the NFL, the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Ian, great to have you with us again here tonight. Wow, what a performance by the Dolphins last night. That was Where'd that come from? Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm actually, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm looking at my screen. I'm watching highlights of, of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and some of those throws, like the touchdown throw to Jasicki, was just crazy over the outstretched arms of a defender and um, – you know, looking looking young. I mean, the crazy thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick is he's 37 years old. He's not 
you know, an entrenched starter. I don't think that's anything shocking. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's really someone who is kind of a a placeholder there, but he will have games where he looks incredible. And, like, you know, if you're the, you know, if 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 you're a team like the Jets have done it and the Bills have done it, you know, I could see why you could convince yourself this guy could be your franchise starter because he has games like this. Reality is he is what it, he is. But when he kind of turns back the clock and plays us, I mean, it is fun to watch. And then, you know, comes out to the post game in a beard and some lounge pants. He's really probably got a good life, I would say that. He sure does. Well, that was an impressive win for them. Well, I want to go back to last week. It was probably going to be known as the injury week, right? I mean, it was it was blow after blow coming at everybody last Sunday. Uh, who, who got hurt team-wise the most, in your opinion, looking at all those injuries? Yeah, I mean, I would, I, you know, I think the 49ers probably because they lost, you know, Nick Bosa, and he's such a huge part of their their team. But and they had so many other injuries: Solomon Thomas and Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. But um, the, you know, the Giants lost their best player, and I know that, you know, Saquon had not um, specifically gone off yet for the Giants, but I mean, he's a huge part of their offense. He's what everyone gears to stop. The you know Pittsburgh players. I mean that's basically when they played they played the Giants. That's everything they tried to do was stop Saquon, and now you take that away, so the defense can really focus on so many other things. You know that probably makes it impossible for the Giants. Um, and then I would say second place, you know the Carolina Panthers losing Christian McCaffrey for four to six weeks. I mean that is just just a crushing blow, especially for someone who's on the field uh, as much as he is. You mentioned the Niners. Jimmy Garoppolo also added to that list. What's what's his status, and, and when do you think they get him back? Well, he's out for this week. And Nick Mullins is going to be the starter. And, you know, crazy thing about Nick Mullins is um, he really – his body of work isn't great, but – and, you know, his, his measurables aren't great. But, man, like he has played well. Um, in Kyle's offense, so I would imagine they're going to be okay. But, you know, it might be just a week for Jimmy G. You know, it might be two weeks, but it really might be just a week. I mean, I think originally they thought it was a typical high ankle sprain, which is really an extended period of time, but it doesn't sound like it was that bad, but probably sooner rather than later for Jimmy Garoppolo. Staying in that division, Ian, to me, one of the most impressive starts to the season has been by Arizona. What, what do you make of them, and can they sustain this? I think they can sustain it, you know, with obviously with the caveat of um, of health being okay. Um, you know, they the main thing is what they have is something you can't prepare for. I mean, the speed of Kyler Murray, how sort of gadgety he is. You know what I mean? Like he's he's so twisty and turny, and he runs close to the ground, and he makes it impossible for a defense to key on him. So either you attack and leave yourself vulnerable, or you don't attack. And you also leave yourself vulnerable. I mean, he is a matchup nightmare. And, you know, adding DeAndre Hopkins to that mix, like I can, you know, I can see why they traded for, for Hopkins and I could see why they were kind of everyone's sleeper. To me, I mean, I, I love what the Cardinals are doing and I don't see it being something um, that is kind of trendy. I think it's something that has, even if they lose this week to a Lions team that needs it, I feel like it's something that really has staying power. 
Big favorite in that game over the Lions to try to get themselves to 3-0. and Visiting with Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network here on Sports Nightly. All right, let's get into some of the matchups. One game that really has got my attention is one of the early games with Buffalo hosting the Rams. What do you, what do you make of this yeah. one? I mean, you know, for the Rams, it's whatever. I mean, they're 2-0 and and they've done well, but it's, you know, if they lose, they lose. I don't think anybody will do anything. For the Bills, this feels like a massive game, right? I mean, I don't know if they're like – dying for attention or respect or what, but it just feels like no one is quite ready to be like, all right, the Bills are here and legit and really good. So to do that, to make that leap from, like, you know, trendy underdog to, like, okay, this team is really legit or this quarterback is really legit, you've got to beat some good teams. And this is an incredible opportunity to do so. I mean, and, you know, it's been interesting. Josh Allen – is probably playing as well as any quarterback we've seen. I mean, we'll have the MVP conversation at some point, and, you know, Russell will be in there, and Holmes and Lamar. Like, I'm pretty sure the leader in passing is Josh Allen. Um, He has been a revelation. Um, And if they win, you know, the sort of Bills uh, train will probably keep rolling for a little bit. In that division, what an entertaining Sunday night game it was with the Patriots and the Seahawks. And now the Patriots match up with the Raiders, who put it on the Saints the other night. What, do you, what's, what intrigues you about the, the New England-Vegas matchup? I mean, anything with Cam Newton intrigues me. I mean, he has been just must-see TV, and I just cannot believe that um, the Patriots were the like only team to make an offer. Yeah. I mean – they tried to get him traded, couldn't happen. Bears weren't interested. The Colts weren't interested. Um, you know, nobody was. And now he's looking like one of the best signings of the whole year. Um, so I love watching Cam. I'll be looking forward to that one. They're not going to have their starting center, David Andrews. He broke his basically broke his knuckle. Um, so that's not a great thing. So that he'll be out this game. You know, and then I think for the Raiders, I mean, what they did with Darren Waller on Monday Night Football against the Saints was – you know, probably not great for the Saints. Um, I mean, they really, like, Gruden really impressed me with someone who can out-scheme, as someone who can out-scheme you. We hadn't seen a ton of that recently. Um, if if Gruden is going to be like that and the Raiders are going to be that explosive, then they might have finally arrived on the NFL scene. Yeah, they look good to me. All right, the Monday night game. Boy, this is intriguing. You mentioned both of these guys earlier in Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. They get to go head-to-head. This should be a blast on Monday, Ian. Could be the best game of the – could be the best game of the season. I mean, I hope. Like, and, and, you know, I get so excited for these games because on Sunday, you know, when two great teams play on Sunday, you can watch, but you've got to focus on the other games. And this is just an incredible opportunity to watch – Two of the best uh, just be awesome. So, um, And I think for the Chiefs, you know, they played some big games. They started the season on a big game. They had a great one last week. You know, similar to the Rams, like I was saying, if the, you know, if the Chiefs lose, they lose. I think they'll be okay. If the Ravens win, you know, that is massive to me because I think, you know, not that the Ravens need anyone's respect, but after what happened in the playoffs last year, I think they would like to show everyone that they're legit and they can beat really, really good teams. This is a fantastic opportunity to do so. This could be kind of a statement game because, you know, whoever wins this, everyone's going to be talking about how, you know, they're favorite to get to the Super Bowl. And I think that will be right. Um, I think the Ravens would like it to be them, and this really is a huge opportunity to make that happen. 
Last thing for you, Ian, some heavy hearts in our area this week with the passing of Gail Sayers, who grew up in Omaha and then went on to star with the Bears, had his career cut short. Uh, what do you what do you remember of Gail Sayers? What what do you think of when you hear that name? Yeah, what I think of is well, I mean, it's twofold. You know, for me, all I get was the highlights, but those highlights are crazy. I mean, I saw a lot of them this week. I don't know anyone else who ran like he did. Like, it was so, uh, like, elegant. It was so elegant. It was so shifty and fun, and um, I don't know how you're supposed to tackle him. I mean, some of those highlights are just ridiculous with how good he was. Obviously, a short amount of time, but how good he was. And then, you know, Brian Song. I mean, he has, you know, Brian Song is, it's, it's not fictitious. It's based on a true story, but a lot of people's memory of Gail Sayers are from a movie that he wasn't in. And it's really a strange thing, but it's almost like he made his mark on American society through someone else in a movie and became like an indelible creature in culture forever because of the way that Billy Dee Williams played him. You know, I mean, it's, and it's such a great movie, obviously. It's so heart-rendering. Um, but those are kind of my takeaways, just how big of a part of American culture he was and just how incredible a runner he was as well. Yeah, Ian, I've told young football fans this week, I said, you, no, no, none of you are alive. Go YouTube it and watch some of his runs. They were amazing. Ian, we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Enjoy the games this weekend. All right, good stuff. Take care. It's time for the Weekend Preview, the part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in, watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Ben McLaughlin. Man, winding down the weekends for NHL, NBA, getting closer to the end for those sports, which resumed action over the hiatus of COVID-19, but as we always do, let's go ahead and start with college football and the slate that you can find on the tube this weekend, starting first tomorrow with matchups at 11 a.m. right out of the shoot, Oklahoma, K-State, Fox, where you can find that one, Sooners, big favorites. I think it was unanimous in this one. Not, not, I don't think any of us see Kansas State knocking them off for a second straight year. No, Oklahoma's going to be loaded for Bayer. Had two weeks to prepare for this one. I think they want to put on a show and make an early statement to put a put their name in the college football ring. Yep, 1-0 against 0-1 there. At 11 o'clock, SEC, our first SEC game of the season. Pitts number five, Florida on the road in Oxford, taking on the Ole Miss Rebels. Gators nearly a two-touchdown favorite here, but our first look at what Lane Kiffin to do. Confidence level in him. Uh, shaky. Shaky at best. Uh, I think the Gators are just far superior, but I think this will be interesting to watch. Two touchdown favorite for Florida in that one. Also in the SEC, maybe the best matchup, at least in terms of the ranked teams. You've got 23rd-ranked Kentucky on the road at Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn taking on the Tigers. Auburn, about a touchdown favorite in this one. They've got some parts to replace, as does Auburn. Um I think I think did any of us pick Kentucky? I think we we're all all Tigers in this one. I think we? we all went Tigers. Or did Tim? Yeah. Maybe Tim jumped in on Kentucky, but yeah. It no, should be, sir. It's, 
No, you took Auburn. Slandered on this program. I'm rolling with uh, Gus Malzahn and so the uh, Tigers. No, nobody took off Kentucky. Okay. No, sir. Nope. All right. So, yeah, expecting a Auburn win there. Again, 23 against number eight in terms of the rankings. About a touchdown spread in that one. Also at 11, fresh off a uh, very defining how, win. Do you notice how touchy he was right there, Ben? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought we were slandering his name. <laughs> Easy. Just a mix-up, Tim. It's going to be all okay. Um, UCF against Georgia Tech a week ago. Man, the Knights really looked impressive there. They're on the road taking on the East Carolina Pirates on ABC, where you can find this one. This and, is the uh, one Tim called for an upset. This is the one. Yeah, this definitely. <laughs> he, he's. I think he said the line was flipped, right? East Carolina by 27. Um, man, Knight, yeah, as, I think you even said this last hour. Name your number if you're UCF. Yep. yep. Georgia Southern, 19th-ranked Louisiana, ESPN2 at 11 o'clock. That's where you can find the 19th-ranked Ragin' Cajuns in action. If you haven't seen them yet, you got a chance tomorrow on ESPN2 to do so. Also at 11 on the ACC Network, another matchup of top 25 teams, 24th-ranked Louisville, 21st-ranked Pittsburgh on the ACC Network pit. A three-point favorite in that one. I think a lot of us ended up picking Louisville. I didn't know uh, that Tim ended up picking Pitt in this one, but – um, a lot of us going with the upset, 24 over the one. So those are your matchups at 11 o'clock. How about at 2.30, Mississippi State on the road at Tiger Stadium in Death Valley and Baton Rouge to take on the Bayou Bengals. National champs LSU, our first look at them. Man, they have a lot to replace. You're not going to know a lot of their names, and a couple of their guys have opted out. So it's going to be a whole new batch of Tigers on the field for this one tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Speaking of debuts, this is the Pirate. Mike Leach dipping his toe in the SEC waters tomorrow against the defending national champions. Welcome to the SEC, Mr. Mike Leach. Mike Leach, former team, Texas Tech. Uh, They're at home at Jones AT&T Stadium in Lubbock against the 8th Rake Longhorns, 1-0 against 1-0. Both 1-0s look a little bit different. Over under on this one, Greg, 70 and a half. They're oh, expecting oh, some oh. points down uh, oh. down in the state of Texas. Yeah, I think they'll get them. I think it's a big Longhorn win, though. Yep, I'm with you, and I think we all were in agreement there that Texas was the big favorites there. Uh, okay, also at 230 on ESPN, second, 22nd-ranked Army against 14th-ranked Cincinnati. Black Knights at 2-0, Bearcats at 1-0. I think we're expecting this one to be close. Army has come close to pulling a couple of upsets in recent years, but it's been just that. It's been close, not necessarily uh, all the way through for the Black Knights. Also at 2.30, Oklahoma State ranked 15th in the country. They were off to a really slow start in their season opener against Tulsa. Uh, they did end up beating the Golden Hurricane, but now they're going in league to battle the West Virginia Mountaineers. Um, I think we're expecting this one to be pretty tight, but I think we all mm-hmm. – uh, agreed that Oklahoma State would, would bounce back with a little better performance this week. Are you selling your membership in the Chuba Hubbard fan club? Um, Not yet, but I, I'm thinking about canceling my subscription. So yeah. we'll, okay. you know, we'll, we'll have to see on that, uh, you know, how that progresses. It was, it, I believe, last week he finished with 90-something rushing guards on like 24 carries and mm-hmm. it was the first time in 11 games he hadn't uh, touched the, the century mark in rushing yards. So, yeah, not not a good start to the year for Chuba Hubbard. All right, at 3 o'clock on the SEC Network, fourth-ranked Georgia against Arkansas. Dogs 28-point favorite in that one. 
also in the SEC. About dinnertime kickoffs here. Number two ranked Alabama on the road in Columbia taking on the Missouri Tigers at Faroe Field. Crimson Tide over a four-touchdown favorite in that one. At 6.30 in the SEC, Vanderbilt at 10th ranked Texas A&M at Kyle Field in College Station. A&M a 31-point favorite there. We'll jump out of the SEC and go to the ACC for this one at 6.30. Florida State, 12th ranked Miami, uh, one of the best rivalries left in college football. Uh, I think we're all very high on the Hurricanes. And uh, and to see, do, is, do we know Coach Norvell is not coaching in this game, is he? with Because he tested no. positive last week. No, he is not. So this is going to be uh, even tougher sledding for the Seminoles as they go into – uh, Miami with a uh, 2-0 record for the Canes, ranked 12th in the nation. SEC action here also at 6:30. Tennessee, South Carolina. I know we were split here. There are a lot mm-hmm. of you that picked South Carolina with the upset over 16th-ranked Tennessee at Williams-Brice. I think we were right down the middle. I think we might have been 2-2 on this one. I think that's right. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what Tennessee is going to look like and what their defense is going to look like under Coach Pruitt, but we will find out. Back to the ACC we go at 7 o'clock. NC State, 20th-ranked Virginia Tech at Blacksburg. Uh, Vodtech, a seven-point favorite there. NC State in a shootout uh, over Wake Forest last week in, uh, in their season opener. And then you've got uh, the nighttime action. You know, tuck yourself in, flip the tube on, 9-15 start at Lavelle Edwards Stadium in Provo on ESPN. Troy and 18th-ranked BYU Cougs. About a two-touchdown favorite in that one. This will be perfect for, like, your midnight feeding for Kennedy. Get up and watch the end of that yeah, game. perfect. It'll work out. Love that. Okay, NBA, of course, there's a game happening right now. Heat Celtics uh, just about the end of the first period, and Miami is up by eight over Boston. Um, game tomorrow between the Nuggets and the Lakers. Uh, Los Angeles could wrap that series up. They're up three games to one over the Nuggets, and I think it's just a matter of time now, Greg. Probably tomorrow it's wrapped up between these yeah. two. Yeah, by Monday we, we may have the final set in the NBA. Yes, we could have. We very much so could have the uh, Eastern Conference representative tonight with Miami. They, they lead that series three games to one. That if necessary game between Boston and Miami would be Sunday at 630 on ESPN. So that's where you can find that one should Boston uh, force a game six with tonight's action. Uh, we also know that uh, NHL is happening right now. End of the first period, Dallas leading Tampa Bay two to one. This is uh, game four. Tampa Bay leads the series two games to one. Uh, they will play tomorrow uh, in game five. Back to backers, huh? Seven o'clock NBC. Uh, so that would be game five and um, no games on on Sunday. So they will play, yeah, as Greg said, back-to-backs, uh, two to one right now, the score there. Uh, let's jump into the NFL action. We heard from Ian Rappaport earlier in the show uh, last hour about all things NFL. Let's go ahead and jump into some of the matchups and some intriguing ones. We had a couple of buy-sell questions in the National Football League here this week and some 0-2s against 2-0s. Interesting game last night between the Dolphins and the Jaguars on Thursday night, a Dolphins victory there. Okay, starting at noon, one of those 2-0-0-2 matchups, you have the Bears on the road against the 0-2 Falcons. The Falcons, however, are a three-point favorite in this one, so 
Maybe Atlanta gets on the board here. Two tough losses to Seattle and a really, really Ooh. disappointing, frustrating loss last week for Atlanta to the Dallas Cowboys where they come from behind, recover an onside kick, and boot a field goal as time expires for Atlanta. Also at 12, you've got the Rams and the Bills. This is 2-0 and against 2-0, and so someone will suffer their first loss. The Buffalo Bills, a two-point favorite here. Josh Allen off to a fantastic start to his season. Sure is. Ian Rappaport mentioned him in his report about a guy that's in the MVP race just two weeks into this season. Yeah, he's thrown for over 700 yards and six touchdowns already this season for the, the young Wyoming quarterback. Also at noon, the Washington football team against the Cleveland Browns. Each of these teams are 1-1. One and one. This is a Fox game. Cleveland favored by 7 in that one. Our next 2-0-0-2 matchup, the Tennessee Titans on the road at U.S. Bank in Minneapolis to take on the Vikings. Tennessee, a 2.5-point favorite here. That is a CBS matchup, even though Minnesota is the home team. Also at 12, the Las Vegas Raiders at 2-0. How about that? 2-0 Raiders on the road in Foxborough taking on the 1-1 one one Patriots. So um, Raiders, Patriots, what are, you, what are you feeling here? Um. I think I think the Patriots get this one done. At least I'm pulling for them. The Raiders are, are much better, much much better. They're going to challenge the Chiefs in that AFC West. Yes, John Gruden getting it rolling. Uh, Josh Jacobs questionable this week with a hip injury. He is uh, very limited in practice so far, but I, I'm guessing he gives it a go for the Raiders. Also at noon on Fox, the Niners and the Giants. Niners just three and a half point favorites. They got decimated last week with injuries and even worse news for the Niners. Again, this week they found out that George Kittle will not play this week. So those that uh, that went and scooped up Jordan Reed from your waiver wire on your fantasy team, go ahead and plug them in again this week. Nick Mullins will be the starter for San Francisco tomorrow. Or excuse me, on Sunday. Yep, Jimmy G out for a while. Yeah. Niners just got decimated last week. Also at noon, you have the Bengals and the Eagles, both teams at 0-2. Philly, a five-point favorite. Zach Taylor really needing a win here uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are off to a slow start themselves. Uh, that is a CBS matchup between Cincinnati and Philly. Also at noon, another 2-0-0-2 matchup. 0-2 Texans, 2-0 Steelers. This one in Pittsburgh. Steelers a four-point favorite over the Texans. What do you make of Houston so far? Uh, I think they're going to miss Hopkins a bunch. I think that they have they've they've come back. They were in that upper tier of teams in the AFC. I don't think they're there anymore, Ben. I just don't. I am uninspired with what I've seen from Houston so far, yep. and some of it's personnel related, but a lot of it's coaching related. I think Bill O'Brien is just in way over his head uh, in Houston. It's just it's slipping away from him. All right, go to the uh, afternoon games, the late afternoon games, starting at three o five. Austin Ormans, Indianapolis Colts. We'll try and build off a win over Minnesota last week with a game against the 0-2 J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. Colts nearly a 12-point favorite in this one. Jonathan Taylor had over 100 yards and a touchdown in his first game as a feature back for the Colts. I'm expecting Indy to win this one. Yep, me too. Panthers, Chargers, what'd you say? Phillip Rivers forever. Oh, yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> Phillip Rivers and Sam Darnold. Yikes. I think we can find a little better quarterback matchup there. Yep. Teddy, two gloves in the Carolina Panthers. 0-2 start to their year, and that's not going to be an easy chore again for them this weekend with no Christian McCaffrey. They're taking on the Chargers, who are nearly a seven-point favorite on CBS in Inglewood. 
uh, for the Chargers, of course, pushed the Chiefs into overtime last week. At 325, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Mile High in Denver to take on the 0-2 Denver Broncos, another team that's been hit by the injury bug. That is a Fox game between Tampa Bay and Denver. 325, Lions-Cardinals, 0-2 against 2-0. Arizona, a six-point favorite there. Kyler Murray is off to a fantastic start to his second year, and the Lions uh, let one slip away literally in week one against the uh, the Green Bay Packers, and they'll try and pull an upset of the Arizona Cardinals who are undefeated there against uh, the Cardinals at State Farm Stadium in Phoenix, or excuse me, in Glendale. At 325, the Seahawks and the Cowboys – Really good matchup here. One and one against two and zero Cowboys, uh, fresh off their upset win last week over the Atlanta Falcons. Seahawks looking great at two and zero. And then your Sunday night game. This this could be a good one. You've got the Packers and the Saints and the Big Easy on the NBC Sunday night seven twenty. Green Bay against New Orleans. I am not liking what I'm seeing from Drew Brees this year. It's mm-hmm. clear he. You know, typically the regression, you, you know, it's hard to see from year to year, but it, it seems like he's taken a couple of steps back, especially with uh, Michael Thomas being out, big weapon for the Saints. Lost his fastball, hadn't he? Sure has. Not looking good for them as the Lightning tie that up at two two apiece there in, uh, in game four. So how about that, Tim? Got to love it. All right, matchups in Major League Baseball here this weekend. And, Hard to believe that the regular season is coming to a close. And, of course, a lot of attention around here with the news that Alex Gordon will play his last baseball game as a professional and as a Kansas City Royal this weekend. Marlins and Yankees this weekend at Yankee Stadium. Yankees uh, doing their best to to make a push for a higher seed in the playoffs. Nets national, uh, Mets Nationals this weekend. They'll, they'll play a doubleheader. Out in the AL West, Mariners-A's is the matchup there. That Nationals-Mets series is actually your national game. They'll play the second uh, game of that doubleheader on Big Fox. So there's your TV matchup there. The Royals are playing the Tigers if you want to get your eyes on Gordo one last time. Also on Fox, your your night game, you've got Brewers-Cardinals in the NL Central and the Phillies and the Rays. How about Alec Bow make them push for mm. NL Rookie of the Year, hitting over 300 with four home runs, uh, the Omaha Ron Colley product with the Philadelphia Phillies pushing for rookie of the year. He's been incredible since they brought him, got at, activated him in early August. How about two of the guys up for rookie of the year in the National League are Alec Bohm from Ron Colley in Wichita State and Jay Cronenworth from yep. the University of Michigan. Two guys we saw quite a bit in their mm-hmm. collegiate careers. Red Sox, Braves, good series there. Atlanta up 11 games over 500. They have clinched the NL East. Uh, you've got the Chi-Town matchup rivalry between the Cubs and the White Sox. Aaron Bummer activated off the injured list. He, uh, he will try and finish out the year with the White Sox. Cleveland Indians playing great baseball right now. Jose Ramirez specifically. They've got the Pirates this weekend. The Reds and the Twins. News out of Cincinnati today that Tom Brenneman has resigned as the voice of the Reds after a slur he used against the Kansas City Royals um, way back when. And so he's out, Greg. Yeah, I'm not surprised. He took a lot of heat. He pulled himself off that broadcast. It wasn't against the Roy- they were The game was against the Royals. He was, didn't use the slur against right. the Royals. But, right, right. Uh, yeah, uh, he's done. And, that, man, a guy who's had a fantastic career just like that, gone. Mm-hmm. 
And then we'll finish it up with the Padres and the Giants. Decent series. Can't believe the Giants are 500 with the team that they're they running got out there. ESPN Plus, where you can find that one on Saturday. So some good matchups and, um, you know, winding down the regular season in Major League Baseball, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, the Giants have a chance. Go Tony Watson. Get yeah. in there. Get in the playoffs one more time. That'd be fun. Plenty in there, even though, some, as you said, a couple of these are going to fall off the, the map here. Probably this week or this next week with the NHL, the NBA will still go for a little while. We're back, Sports Highly, here on a Friday night. Earlier today, Husker head volleyball coach John Cook had a press gathering. It's been a while since we've heard coach in front of a press setting. The volleyball now knows their season's going to start January 22nd. NCAA tournament's going to start in early April with a Final Four in late April. John Cook expanded on what the spring season model could look like. Yeah, our whole... Uh model for a spring season was to go a little bit later to try to avoid March Madness. So we could have started third week in February, get things going during March Madness, and then have April and May where it's full-time volleyball and the other other spring sports, uh, and just try to stay away from that. Now, and not necessarily for the Big Ten, because everybody in the Big Ten now has their own facility. Even Iowa was the last one. They built their, they have a new facility they're playing in. So we don't have any basketball conflicts. But if you look at the other 300 Division One programs, a lot of them are going to have uh, basketball conflicts for gym time, practice time, and so on. And so that was our intent of moving it later. And then selfishly, I thought what would be really cool is you could have Big Big Ten baseball in Omaha, go Final Four volleyball in Omaha, USA swimming in Omaha, and then the World Series. So for about probably six weeks, Omaha could be the amateur sports capital of the world. Well, that, that was his vision, Ben. Obviously, that's not the way it's coming down the pike. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to have this planned out in your head and that, that's one thing we've learned over the last six months is you can't really bank on any of your plans happening as you expect with COVID. It's just too many curveballs thrown your way. Yeah. Well, okay. How about the regular season schedule? It looks like it's just going to be conference only. Here's the head coach. Only Big Ten matches. And, and we're the coaches are lobbying for an 11-week uh, Big Ten season. That would mean 22 Big Ten matches. Because if you look at January 22nd to April 3rd, I believe is 11 weeks. So we would like to have, if we're going to play all conference, let's play 20, all Big Ten as many as we can uh, in, in 22 matches. And so that would be very close to a full season, minus uh, a few weeks there uh, and a few matches. But we feel like that level of competition is going to prepare you for the NCAA tournament and and being able to compete with anybody, any other conference or team in the country. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, they're talking about tweaking that, not having as big a field, not having a 64-team field. Here's what the coach knows right up about it right now. Yeah, Michelle, that's that's probably come up on every uh, – Big Ten call we've been on is is how how's this NCAA tournament going to get managed? But we do know there's going to be 32 automatic qualifiers, so there take that takes 32. Now you're looking at how the other 16, and uh, so what we've been told and is that they're going to go. They may have to go some by historical, uh, which would favor the Power Five conferences and the in the 
conferences have done really well in the past NCAA tournaments because if you can't play, if we're playing only conference and other teams are only playing conference, you're going to have a really hard time. So, uh, you know, comparing. And so I, I think it's going to be controversial. I think it's going to be really tough to get in. There's a huge premium on winning your conference and being an automatic qualifier. Uh, so all those things come into play. And, uh, and I think there's, you know, you're not going to have time to mess around and, and work your way into a season and experiment. I mean, you're going to have January 22nd. It is go time. And uh, there it needs to be a sense of urgency on every point. Man, that's interesting to hear, um, you know, openly admit the fact that there's going to be a, a boost for name brand recognition there. I've never heard anything like that. I suppose it makes sense, and Nebraska definitely falls in that category, but Coach used the word controversial. I can definitely see how that would be the case. <laughs> oh, 16 at larges? Holy cow, half that might be the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness, that's going to be crazy. All right, he also asked, what's the format of the NCAA tournament going to look like, and can Omaha still be the home of the Final Four this year? They were supposed to host it in December. Will they host it in April? Here's the coach. I, I've heard uh, Omaha is good to go, and I've been checking in with them to make sure on all these date changes – Omaha's good to go, wants it. It works out great for them. So uh, I think there is the NCAA has indicated they'd like to have it in Omaha. I've seen the bracket for 48 teams. They have not, and so it's a little bit different. So not everybody's going to be playing the first week or the first match, the first night. Uh, so they'll have some bye teams. Um, how they're going to do that and where they're going to do that has not been figured out yet. And if you follow the NCAA, they're going to be meeting to talk about how they want to do this. Do they put everybody in one spot? Do they have eight spots that everybody goes to? So I think that's still being determined. I I'm, would be shocked if it's a true, you know, only two teams playing in one spot type setup. In fact, I think with 48 teams, I don't think you can do it that way so we're going to look at some type of pod system where there's going to be a group of teams going to a site and playing and how many we don't know yet and that's still being worked out yeah this is uh i kind of feel like this is in coach cook's wheelhouse you know the the logistics i think he loves he loves to get into it he fights for his teams and what's best for nebraska but i mean this is a this just sounds like a nightmare, all the details that need to come from this. And, I mean, imagine just the different perspectives we have in a sport like college football. I mean, I'm sure they're fighting some of the same battles as they are in that and in, in volleyball right now as well. No doubt. But they've got time. That's the good thing. They've got several months to kind of get this thing ironed out and make it make it workable. All right, there's some comments from the head volleyball coach earlier today, January 22nd. Mark it down. That'll be the start of the volleyball season. We're back with our week in review. That's next. It's the Sports Nightly Week in Review. From Monday night. Parker Gabriel from the Lincoln Journal Star. I think the I think the advancements in the rapid testing really changed things. I mean that that clearly is what drove the uh, conference to vote unanimously to get back to playing. And and I think it's interesting. There was someone I believe it was in the Pac-12 when that uh, partnership with Quidel was announced a couple of weeks ago said, you know, we didn't think that this would be available until November or even December. Uh, and yet they were going to have it in place in September. And so I think that, that that timeline really is probably what drove it. And so is that 
that came a little bit more, a little bit more to focus. I, I did believe that it was possible to get back this fall, but um, I think October 24th is, if they actually do get rolling that day, I mean, that's, I think that that's uh, more than I would have thought was possible a few weeks ago. ESPN college football analyst, Adam Rittenberg. Maybe the best game of the day is going to be early with number 23, Kentucky. Very good defense there, and they get their quarterback, Terry Wilson, back from injury going into uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium to face Auburn. You know, Chad Morris is there now as the offensive coordinator. Bo Nix is a second-year quarterback. Auburn, once again, projects to have one of the best defenses in the country. Could be a lower-scoring game, but I'm really interested to see how this Auburn offense which honestly, Greg, has held them back. We didn't think we'd be saying that you know, in year eight under Gus Malzahn, but the offense needs to get going because Auburn is one of these teams that seems to have everything else uh, poised to make a run, maybe for the CFP, but they're going to need to be better on offense. Tuesday night, the Nebraska Athletic Director Show with Bill Moose. That gave us a total of five preseason top 25 games. Uh, I do feel that maybe those could have been spread out a little bit. Opening at number two, Ohio State, who was in the CFP, the college football playoffs, a year ago and very uh, easily could be back there this year and maybe win a national championship is uh, a bit daunting if you look at it that way. But, uh, hey, uh, uh, we're going to have to play them at some point. Maybe the best time to play them is, is early. But... And then we've got uh, uh, number seven, Penn State, and number 12, I believe, Wisconsin, all in the first four games. So, you know, in sports, and we talk about football in particular, it's so important, especially as you're developing a program and with a young team to establish momentum and morale early on. And uh, we're going to have to really work on that because uh, we have our, our work cut out for us, but we're up to the challenge. From Wednesday night, Former Husker, Gerald Foster. Being able to be that for the uh, the up-and-coming guys, you know, after you've seen it and you've, you've loved, you know, having those guys there for you, um, you want to do that for the next group. And I, I, I took it upon myself, and I know a good amount of the guys did. With us coming in with a, a new staff our senior year, we were like, we need to make this the easiest transition. We need to make it so that the guys they, they don't see negativity in the rooms. We need to be able to push forward because it, it, it's something that's amazing. Uh, when, you, when you have a good group of leaders and a good group of guys to uh, follow what that'll, um, what that'll push you to do. So uh, hopefully this year is gonna be a great year for your Huskers. We're all you know excited. <laughs> I can't wait to watch out here. So it's gonna be a fun time. Robin Washit. From Husker Online. You know, they figured we have all of the resources uh, that you could ask for here in Lincoln. We have an arena and an auxiliary arena in the Devaney Center at our disposal. We have a multitude of hotels within a block of that arena that uh, are probably desperate to host people uh, right now. And so it just makes too much sense not to try and get this thing going. So uh, there's still I's to dot, T's to cross, but um, if that goes through, that tournament could very well make up the majority of Nebraska's uh, non-conference schedule. If you remember uh, when the NCAA announced the start date, they also uh, had some provisions where they're going to allow teams to play uh, 27 games uh, total, uh, and however we want to break that up. And in the Big Ten team's case, 
20 of those are going to be league games, so that would give Nebraska seven non-conference games. And so um, they're still on for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, opponent is still to be determined, but that's a game. Uh, and then this field, uh, if they're able to get all 16, will you know, at least give them uh, you know, a handful uh, of, of those matchups as well. And then the rest, I would assume, would be filled out with just your, your typical buy games where you know it's the, the mid to low major opponent that, that comes in to basically try to recoup what he'll be losing uh, with some of the cancellations going on college basketball. Major League Baseball insider Lane Grindle. After the Marlins outbreak and then the Cardinals outbreak, everybody was really nervous. And there was, there was a lot of chatter, I think, from people maybe outside of baseball as much as anybody, from people saying, shut it down, shut it down. Well, there were really no hospitalizations at all, at least not to my knowledge, of anybody that that contracted the virus through the Major League Baseball season. And they said, no, we're going to tweak our protocols. We're going to tighten things up. We're going to make sure this works. It's too important for this league and for these teams and for their employees for us to just give up. And they didn't do it. And they pushed forward and they cleaned it up. And there's been hardly any positive cases since. And when there have been, they've shut down a series here or there. And they've been able to make it up. They've remained flexible. And I'm proud of baseball the way they've done this. I think it's been incredibly important for baseball. But I think it's also been incredibly important for sports in general. Because this has given other leagues and other conferences at the collegiate level the confidence to to move forward and do this. Thursday night, Nebraska football coach Scott Frost. Yeah, we're going to have to approach practice a little different than we would have. You know, you would have liked to have a little time to kind of work yourself into contact a little more and a little more and and build it up. Uh, We're not going to have the luxury of doing that, so we're probably going to have to adjust practices and and try to fast-track that a little bit. But, again, some of the decisions we're making are good. Some I don't really understand. Uh, We're out doing 11-on-11 right now with guys touching each other and and doing as much as you, contact as you can without pads on, and nobody in our league's allowed to put pads on until all the t- uh, conference-provided testing is on each campus, and hopefully that's done by the 30th. I'm not really sure why putting shoulder pads on will, will change how the virus is going to react to our team when we're out there as a whole group anyway, but uh, you know, some of those decisions I can question, but it's pointless to question. Uh, we're, we just got to follow the rules that are put in front of us and do the best we can for our team. Teddy Greenstein for the Chicago Tribune. I had to give my boy Pete Thamel a hard time about that, that he tweeted that out. I said, come on, man, I tweeted a week ago. I told you, I, I told you Rashawn Slater was not coming back. When I texted Fitz about this a couple weeks ago, he, he just quoted Hawk Harrell's he replied to my text. He said, Hawk Harrelson. I said, you can put it on the board, yes? He goes, no, he gone. <laughs> so he gone. Rashawn Slater has signed with an agent. That's it. He's not coming back. Northwestern doesn't have its great left tackle. But they have a lot of good players. This could be a sneaky year for Northwestern. Peyton Ramsey is going to be the quarterback. Obviously, they had the worst quarterback play in all of America last year. Now they've got a guy who was the fifth-rated quarterback in the Big Ten. Peyton Ramsey coming from Indiana. So the defense is going to be good. Will they score enough points? They have a very favorable schedule start with Maryland. So Northwestern's got to be feeling pretty pretty decent about itself right now. Welcome back. Final few minutes of Sports Highly for the week. Time for the winners and losers. Ben, lead us off. Yeah, my winner, a no-brainer, easy. Alex Gordon, um, just a phenomenal story, phenomenal career. Great guy. Um, hard to believe his career's over. But 
what a great one it was and what a memorable and impactful one it, it's been for me personally and for Husker Nation and for Royals fans as well. So congratulations to Alex and hope to see him around a lot more um, after his retirement from baseball. Uh, my loser of the week, Atlanta Falcons. Man, what a rough start to their season. You lose to Seattle and then outscored by Dallas by 20 in the second half, including a touchdown and a field goal in the last two minutes, including an onside kick. Not a good start if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. All right, Tim. All right, my winners and losers come from uh, last night's most coveted NFL game of all time, uh, Dolphins and Jags. Uh, my winner, though, is, is Ryan Fitzpatrick for – um, winning one for the the men with beards and a crazy amount of facial hair. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, uh, interview he did in post game, but he had the the, the chest hair going. Uh, it was great, great to see uh, all man. And of course, that makes the loser. Of course, not only Minshew mania, but uh, team mustache. Uh, it wasn't looking good. wasn't looking good for the mullet. Uh, Fitz Fitzpatrick, Fitz magic all the way. Very good, Austin. Winner of the week for me is Joe Burrow. He of the Cincinnati Bengals, formerly of the LSU Tigers. He had his high school football field in Athens, Ohio, named after him, officially christened today. That's cool. What an honor for him, just a rookie in the NFL. My loser of the week, tough luck losers, nothing they did or didn't do. Kansas City Royals fans, they miss out on being able to see them prove their superiority over Missouri's other baseball team, taking two out of three in the I-70 series, and then not being able to go to Alex Gordon's last game. Just unfortunate. Yeah, it's too bad. I feel bad for Alex not to be able to do that. My winner of the week, I'm going Gale Sayers. I mean, what a life, what a man, what a football player, and how many people, what a nice, nice gentleman he was. And uh, we're all better for the, the fact that Gail Sayers graced this earth. My loser, guys, the state of Kentucky, their high school activities association is eliminating the jump ball to start games in oh my high school basketball Boo. for COVID reasons. Boo. So they should eliminate rebounding and jumping, too. I mean, right. The guys aren't going to be against each other the whole game? Are you kidding me? That's a they're joke. Gonna, they're going to determine who's sweating at that point. Right. They're going to determine who gets the ball with a toss of a coin. Jeez. Let's hope that's not a trend Losers. the country. <laughs> well done. Hey, what a good week. Fun week. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and all of you for listening to this tonight. Greatest games tomorrow, 1 o'clock Central, noon Mountain Time. Game three of that 94 season, the Huskers and the UCLA Bruins. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We're back with more information and entertainment coming your way on Monday. Good night.